0: listening to an encore presentation of invest talk please call with your questions and comments though 888-99-CHART 888-99-CHART and steve will answer them on the next invest talk
1: welcome to invest talk above average investing for the average investor we try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have as long as they're financial 888 99 Charter is our number, 888 992 4278. Let's go to Bill in Pleasanton. How are you doing, Bill? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for the call.
2: Regarding the rollovers? Yes. To a, a IRAs? Yes. What do you do? Figure on what your tax bracket is and what it's going to be later? or
1: You assume, Bill, that your tax bracket later is going to be less because you're not working. Okay, that's what most people assume. But you may be already be retired and you're, not, you're already in a low tax bracket. I don't know. Well, I'm retired, but I still make 80 grand a year. So, oh, so you're in a pretty high tax bracket. You married? Yes. Uh, any dependents? Nope. Okay. So I'm not quite sure what your tax bracket is, but it's not it's not low probably. No. Every dime you take out of the regular IRA to roll into the Roth, every dime is added to that 80 grand, and you pay taxes on it. So if you oh. took 50 grand, that would be 80 from your ordinary plus 50, so you're now at 130,000 that you're paying taxes on, even though all of it went into the Roth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
2: it was a thought that I didn't realize you never had to pull out
1: the Roth. You never had to pull. That's the beauty about the Roth. You never had to pull it out. You probably know? have more money than I'm going to spend my life anyway, so I'd yeah. as well leave those to the kids. That's right, and it's easier. The other benefit that I didn't get to was that you know you can have them inherit it, and I understand it's not necessarily part of your estate. Oh. So they get to inherit it directly. Now, you got to check that with you know somebody who knows better yep. than I do. A regular IRA is part of your estate taxes, you know, but I'm not sure about that either because a regular IRA, you can, what it is, a regular IRA, you know, when you pass away the beneficiary, you name the beneficiaries who gets it, and they have they have to pay taxes, but they get to stretch it out. Whereas a Roth, they were indicating on this article that you don't have to pay a state tax on all, at all. Someone else inherits a Roth, they don't have to pay a state tax on that money. Check that out. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks for the call.
2: Hi, my name
3: is Matt. I'm 34 years old. I've been a listener for a couple of years. Historically, I've been invested just in equities. And, you know, uh, during the last month or so, I'm realizing I need to probably shift my focus to be invested in some bonds as well. I was wondering what the easiest way to gain exposure would be. I don't have a lot of time to actively manage individual portfolio companies' holdings. For instance, I've been selling out of Individual securities last year and, and buying into to ETFs just to sort of passively manage uh, my portfolio so I was wondering if bond ETFs were an option or if I should be looking more towards bond mutual funds I understand that both have risks, but I'm essentially just wondering what's the easiest way I can gain exposure to a fixed income without having to actively search for individual bonds look forward to hearing answer on the podcast
1: Thanks. Well, I would prefer bond ETFs. Uh, they also are a type of mutual fund. So don't don't think that a mutual bond, uh, a mutual fund bond. Is that much different than a mutual uh, than an ETF that has bonds in it? They're pretty much the same, but there's a, what you have to decide as a bond investor is what length of bond you want. Do You want a short-term bond, long-term, intermediate-term. What is the best place for you to be? And that's where the difficulty comes in. And always remember, when interest rates go down, the bond values go up. So your bond ETF and bond mutual fund will go up in value if interest rates come down. If interest Rates rise, interest rates rise, the bond, uh, mutual fund bond and the ETF bond fund will go down in value. So I prefer to have you own the individual bonds. I really do.
3: Okay? Hi, Stephen Justin. I was wondering if you could comment on the medium to long-term effects of the trillions of dollars in stimulus the Fed keeps putting out. It seems like all this spending to boost the economy right now can't just come consequence-free. Thanks, I'm looking forward to
4: your answer. I agree. I think there's definitely a lot of moral hazard here. You think a moral hazard of banking, of bailing out the banks. Remember the Occupy Wall Street movement? Well, what happens when every corporation in, in all industries get bailed out uh, because they bought back shares, uh, leveraged up their balance sheet, didn't save for a rainy day, and suddenly the corporations get bailed out, but individuals get a $1,200 check. Uh, I think that's, uh, uh, from a political standpoint, I think that's going to be the biggest fallout. You're going to look a year from now, two years from now, and and look back at these bailouts, and and I think people are going to be appalled at the details uh, in these uh, these packages. And uh, I think there's political ramifications from it. Now, these dollars are just plucking holes in the system, so they're not creating inflation per se right now. Uh, It's just creating really a, a less efficient economy. Bankruptcies are good. Bankruptcies are good for economies. They refresh the capital structures. They lower the burden of debt on the economy. They put in new management, new thinking, and so... These companies have a much better chance of growing over time, as opposed to just suffering under the weight of debt. And uh, so, I I definitely think there's poor there's there's knock-on effects that will be bad for the business economic aspect of our economy, as well as the political aspect of our country, and really the world, if you think about it. So, uh, I think there will be many, many knock-on effects.
1: You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. Eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart 888-992-4278 and you can get through right now.
0: to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 chart and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
3: Hello, my name is Sue. I'm with in Florida. Just started listening to your show. I'm about 10 years away from retirement and I'm trying to educate myself. Uh, right now my portfolio is with Edward Jones and I don't know, I keep reading that they are quite expensive, but my question is relating to you refer to position, buy a position, buy a half a position. What exactly does that mean? Is a position the the cost of the stock or is it a specific amount of money? And depending on how many you can how many stocks you can buy for one position? Just trying to educate myself. Love your show. Have a good day. Bye
1: well thank you for the question i really appreciate that a position means we're buying a stock or an etf most of the time or a bond most time i'm referring to a stock and a position for us we like to not buy more than three percent of any one stock or any one position in our stock programs so when i say uh well we put in a half a position that means i bought one and a half percent of the portfolio and of course that means a number of shares depends how big your portfolio is, right? A hundred thousand portfolio is very different than a million dollar portfolio. But one and a half percent is still one and a half percent. Now would be a half a position. Three percent is a full position. So it's it's a question of how much of a portfolio that you're buying. And we buy three percent. Many people you can buy up to five percent. But you know if you want to like ease into something, you don't have to buy the whole position, another three percent or the whole five percent. So sometimes I mean, we bought one percent sometimes and then buy another percent and another percent three three purchases, especially since there's no no trading costs anymore so that's what we mean by position eight 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 ninety nine charters our number eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight Let's go to Chris in San Diego. How are you doing, Chris?
2: There's a lot of information around, and and everybody has different opinions on on when to get into stock and, and when to get out of a stock, depending on it's moving up and moving down. But what do you do if it doesn't do anything
5: for over a long period of time?
1: If a stock just sits there like a lump, in other words, dead money, the reasons that you bought the stock are still valid and in place, then you just stick with it. In other words, the reason you bought the stock What was it? Well, it was growing its earnings. It was growing its business. It's got a great new widget that's coming out and it's selling like hotcakes. Whatever the reason was, and if it's a valid reason, making money, and it has not changed, nothing's changed about that decision, then you stay with it. The problem, Chris, is stocks. I don't know if you've ever heard this statistic, but it's amazing that stocks, you know, like 70, 80% of the movement of stocks is like 3% of the time that you're in the stock like over a year period, most mm-hmm. of the move comes in bunches. And if you're not in it, that few days or few weeks that it moves, you've just wasted all your time and effort. I see. If the nothing has changed, in other words, no new competitor came out with a better widget to so knock this one out, that's called creative destruction, by the way. No new something has destroyed what you bought the stock for. Uh-huh. Uh, then you stick with it. I, and I know it's hard sometimes. There is a time when you give up, but that's not for years, not days or weeks or months.
2: So it's on the order of years.
1: Yes. I, if the reason that you bought it still is valid. Now, sometimes the reason you bought it changes great thank you very much thanks for the question thank you
0: our invest talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions to do that on your own thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good solid investing principles but we need your questions to keep us on track 888-99-CHART or click on contact steve or contact justin on
3: investtalk.com
1: and dennis is calling from texas how you doing dennis
3: I'm doing great. I just have a real quick question I'd like to ask. Can you explain the uh, monthly investment plan and do you think that's great for uh, income and do your firm do fee consultant service? Uh And my last question, I have three. Do you recommend ETFs over a, uh, over like a, uh, mutual funds balance, over a balanced portfolio?
1: okay well I, you can use first answer your last question you can use etf to produce a balanced portfolio so it's not either or etfs can okay. be used to balance a portfolio and we, actually I, I do we do do that uh and we, no okay. we don't do a consultant for fee for a fee consultant we don't consult for fee we do consultant for free never we don't okay. i'm not a i don't I, you know what if you want to talk about something and you just want to get some information. You can call me up. i you know, if you're in, if you're, where are you from? You from Texas? Yes. Okay. Well, actually, I'm in California, so we'll have to do a telephone con- consultation, which I do all the time. So don't worry about okay. that. And what was that first question of yours? I'm
3: the the uh the monthly income plan. I think it has something to do with NASDAQ. If I'm not, for, I'm not for sure.
1: Well, it sounds like you're talking about a dollar cost averaging uh investment plan in which you put a certain amount into index funds or other funds at every paycheck or once a month and that is a good way to to get invested over a period of time and okay. I kind of like it yes I do
3: okay so if I wanted to talk to you more off the
1: air yes you just well, no, kind of let me give you a direct number okay? Okay, great. And it's an 800 number, so it's free. Okay. 800-557-5461. That number rings right at my office. You can also call the same radio number and leave your message, and I'll get back to you. But call me directly, 800-557-5461. And the best time to reach me is in the morning because that's, you know, I'm an early morning guy because that's when the market is on the West Coast. That's when the market opens. That's
3: it, that's it. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Hello, Stephen, Justin. I have a question about 401k. So right now I'm contributing to a 401k and I'm having my uh, employers match my contribution. And my question is, what happens to the 401k funds or let's say IRA funds if I have an IRA account if I move permanently to another country? So let's say I move either, let's say, to Canada or to Europe or anywhere else. What happens to my 401k or my IRA. Thank you
1: very much. Nothing. It's still as active here in the United States, okay? You can't, you can't, uh, wherever the, whoever custodian you have, let's say you have Schwab or, or Vanguard, whomever, your funds are still there and you still can manage it. If you want to take the money out, you still can do that. You still can do that. Now, you're going to have to translate the, the dollars to whatever currency you're living in in whatever foreign country unless they accept dollars. But nothing really happens. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-CHART, beginning our experience. We're here to answer your questions.
0: listening to an encore presentation of invest talk please call with your questions and comments though 888-99-CHART 888-99-CHART and steve will answer them
1: on the next invest talk okay let's go to mark and stockton how you doing mark
5: yeah, I just left my company about a month ago, and I just wanted to know what I should do with my 401K
1: plan. Great. I'm glad to hear that they have 401Ks. Most companies do these days, and I, there's no reason why they shouldn't. You can do two things. Did you start a new job?
5: Yes, I did.
1: And they have a 401K also? No,
5: they don't have a 401K. I'm a contractor, so I, they don't have any uh, okay. benefits.
1: Then what you want to do is you want to roll the 401K into an IRA. Okay, Okay, and it's very simple to do. Don't think it's complex. You can roll that into any type of account. You can go to a bank and roll it into a savings account. You can roll it into a mutual fund account. You can roll it into a stock account. Any place you want to will roll it into. And then you can hire somebody to manage it for you, like us. You know, okay. We manage all types of IRAs. And we do rollover 401ks into IRAs all the time. Is there any fees to roll over the money
5: from 401k to? No, it's free.
1: It's no cost. Now, if you have a 401k and it's invested in certain mutual funds, you may have to sell off those mutual funds. In other words, put it all in money market before Um, you roll it over. Oh, okay. But just call anybody who you want to help manage your money, or you can do it yourself. You can go to E-Trade or someplace else. Call them up and say, I want to roll this 401k, and they will send you the paperwork. There's also a form that you're going to have to get from your old 401k, from whoever's running that, your plan operator. There will be a form that needs to be filled out. If you want us to help you with it, give us a call. We'll be happy to do most of that for you. Okay.
5: Maybe I'll
1: give you a call then. Okay. Appreciate the call, Mark. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's go to Jim and Carlsbad. How are you doing, Jim?
2: Uh, the question I had was about the mutual fund uh, versus the
3: exchange-traded fund.
1: Mm-hmm. What exactly is the difference between those? Okay, great question. And. The mutual fund has a manager, okay? He is—he may be a large-cap mutual fund. He may be a small-cap. He may have a discipline that he is employing, and he states that in the prospectus. And he says, I'm going to buy large-cap stocks. So he goes out and buys those large-cap, and he manages, buys and sells, and he tries to manage that portfolio to make money. A ETF, exchange-traded fund, is an unmanaged... Fund. It could be it follow indexes, like the QQQs or the SPYs, or it can follow a sector, like uh, the insurance sector or the banking sector or oil sector. It could be an ETF that just has those group of stocks in them, but they're not managed at this point. Most of the time, they're not managed. They're not managing the ETFs. You're just buying that group of stocks, and there you go. So one is much more managed than the other. On the other hand, ETFs are much cheaper because they're not managed. It's the cheaper fees, much cheaper fees than a mutual fund. So ETFs that's the,
3: are more focused on industry groups then and rather than uh, capital value.
1: Or? And areas of the world, even country specific sometimes or just areas of the market. Yes. Great. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate the call. John in San Diego. How are you doing, John?
2: Oh, I'm doing fine. I've got a small dilemma that's turning into a huge one. Uh Uh-oh. I'm 57 years old. My hopes for retirement are somewhat daunted by the fact that I started saving too late. Okay. So I'm not destitute, but at the same time, I don't think I'm going to be able to generate the kind of income that I need for retirement. Mm -hmm. So my play, if you will, is do I take what little I have, not? Be so conservative to try to generate the kind of income that would help me, or I just not retire.
1: And you're 57.
2: I'm 57. How's your health? I guess I'll say fair.
1: Well, John, I'm gonna have to tell you, you're gonna have to keep working. Yeah. I mean, that's all there is to it. 57, probably. I'm not going to touch that IRA till about 65. That would be my suggestion. I would be fairly aggressive with it because you kind of need to, you are taking risks doing that, but you kind of have to, because you're going to have to keep working anyways.
2: You know, I'm a teacher. I've got some stirs money, oh. but, I'm not, but I'm not going to uh, to live long enough, if you will, in order to you know accumulate the amount of years
1: uh.
2: Uh, that it takes to really get a good income out of
1: it. Yeah, because they uh. do have great retirement benefits. Yeah, they do,
2: but you know, it starts getting great at about 28 years. Exactly. And we're
1: far from there. I kind of think you need to be aggressive. You really need to sit down with somebody, financial planner or, some, or myself. I don't care. And just to take a look at your whole picture, it sounds morbid, but do you have any prospects of inheriting any money? Well, probably not. Okay.
2: (laughs) My only thought is is that maybe, you know, my house, you know, uh, towards the end there, we, you know, do some kind of, uh, you know.
1: Reverse mortgage?
2: Exactly.
1: Uh Uh-huh. That's a thought. See, that's what the kind of questions you need to sit down with somebody, and we do that, too. We're registered investment advisors. We're not financial planners, but we do do that. We ask those kinds of questions. and give you different alternatives and tell you what you could do. And that's what a good financial planner would do, but I don't want you to pay the money to have that done. <laughs> you know,
2: well, you know, that's part of the problem It's just, Quite honestly, not knowing what resources are available, since I don't have a lot of money to begin with, you know, I need to probably start to someone who, you know, who is either very gracious and has more time on their hands to just give me a handout or to, you know, that wouldn't charge so much. John,
1: if you call me at the office, I'll be happy to talk about some of these details with you. Okay. And I'll get more information from you so I can get a better picture of your overall situation. And then right. we'll come up with some alternatives that I know about. I'm not an expert. I don't pretend to be, but I, I do know a lot about it because I talk about it all the time and I sure. to all kinds of people. Well, that so, would be wonderful. Thank you. We're going to go to uh, Jim in Palo Alto. How are you doing, Jim? When one
2: invests in, in a Roth IRA and you make trades, you create capital gains and losses, what happens with the short-term versus long-term capital gains?
1: Since they're not taxed, is that not... A consideration at all? Not a consideration at all. Okay. In a Roth and a regular IRA, you don't care about short-term, long-term capital gains. You don't care about any of that. You trade whatever you want to do because there's no tax on it. Thank you very much. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
4: Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, eligible items only exclusions apply
0: you're listening to an encore presentation of invest talk please call with your questions and comments though 888-99-CHART 888-99-CHART and steve will answer them on the next invest
1: talk 888 99 our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. Lorem, Oakland, how you doing, Loram?
5: Pretty good. Thank you for taking my call. My situation, basically, I had a 401k with a previous employer, and then when I left that employer, I, I switched jobs, I went to another employer, basically hung out with them for a year. And then I'm at a new employer. Mm -hmm. So my previous 401k is I've not been able to contribute much into it. My current employer right now doesn't really have a very good 401k. -hmm. Uh, They don't have any pre-tax matching. Mm -hmm. And I was looking into opening another IRA. Mm -hmm. And basically, I came across some of these funds, which are called...
4: At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. Hacker One seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with Hacker One's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H A C K E R O N E dot com, HackerOne.com. hackerone.com.
5: time-managed funds. I was looking at T. Rowe Price, Vanguard, and Fidelity. I wanted to get your take on it because I'm 40 right now, so I'm looking at like a 25-year, you know, the 25-year project that they have.
1: I'm familiar with those, and I particularly don't care for them. It's not like they're bad. I don't want to say that. I just don't care for them because of the automatic way in which they move from stocks when you're real young and slowly go to bonds when you approach retirement. Uh They can move toward bonds at the very wrong time in the market. They don't pay attention to what's happening in the real world. That's Uh not what they're paying attention to. They're basing it on your age. So interest rates could be really high or really low, and they're still going to move to bonds. And bonds notoriously are bad performers. Yes, they will get more conservative as you get older, and that's really what they've been designed to do—to get more conservative. And how they do that is they generally buy bonds. I see. And it's for everybody else, what they do is is they'll say, "Okay, we have uh, this—I uh, forgot what they call them—but they'll say they'll have a date on it, like 2025. Exactly. And that's the date you're quote-unquote are going to retire. And as the time gets closer to that date. They change the mix inside to get more conservative, generally, and that means buy more bonds. Well, what if in 20 years from now, five years before you're retiring, interest rates are 4%. Who wants to be on bonds?
5: Right. You know what I mean? Well, 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 Steve, here's a question I have for you. What would you recommend for me where, I mean, I'm 40 right now, and I'm trying to get my wife... My wife and I are going to open individual IRA accounts, okay. and I'm the type where I just want to go super aggressive and just go okay. put the pedal to the
1: metal. What I want you to do, Loram, is I want you to go to investtalk.com, email me, remind me of this conversation, tell me you're going to do IRAs, right? Right. Tell me the amount of assets you're going to have in the IRA, okay. and I will give you a list of mutual funds that you can invest in. there will be much, I think, will be. Over 25 years, far outperformed those time management type of Oh, accounts.
5: that's great because I don't qualify for the Roth, so that's what I'm just trying
1: to seek out right okay. now. Yeah, just and email me. Lot, I'll be happy to. Do it. Thanks, Lauren. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Let's go to uh, Mark in San Bernardino. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing, Steve? Pretty good. I appreciate you calling.
5: A little while back, you wrote in your weekly newsletter mm-hmm. about selling shorts. Yes. And that you said that if you didn't know what a uh, stock being hard to borrow meant, then you shouldn't be selling short. Right. So I'm asking you, what does it mean when it's hard to borrow, and how would you find that out on a particular stock?
1: Okay, good, good question. Let's talk about what is shorting for people out there. Of course, shorting is where you borrow somebody else's stock and you sell it at today's high price, at least you're hoping today's high price. And then, since you borrowed it, you have to give it back someday, and the idea is that the stock price will go down and you give it back. For you to borrow somebody else's stock to sell it, that means that there has to be enough stock out there in the float that's on a margin account with other people's stocks, and their stocks are a margin account, meaning they'll allow it to be borrowed. It means that there's gotta be enough out there for you to borrow. Sometimes there's not enough, okay? They're not allowing it be borrowed, and it could be any stock out there. Most of the time, the big stocks are easy to borrow, but it could be any stock out there. And many times, if it depends on your trading platform that you're using are you using like e-trade or i'm using e-trade i'm not sure about e-trade but many of these trading platforms will put a little hb behind the little symbol when you try to sell something short hb means hard to borrow oh, okay that means it's not a very liquid stock and when you want to get out in other words you want to buy it back uh-huh. it could be a problem because there's not much in the float out there right so you could drive your price up and there's too many people shorting that same stock Remember, shorting a stock is supportive of the price because everybody's got to buy it back again someday. Right. So, So try to stay away from the hard-to-borrow stocks. Then you won't have any trouble getting out when the time is to get out.
5: Okay. And that'll just be indicated Many when times you actually try to enter the order or,
1: where, or it's when... It's right. usually when you first put the order in. You know what you do is you got to call E-Trade and say, how do I know and where does it show up and how can I find that out? Right. But most right. platforms tell you. Okay, great. Thanks you. Thanks, Mark. Much. Let's go to Ben and Gilroy. Hi, Ben. How you doing? I've been to Gilroy several times. Been to the Gilroy <laughs> Garlic Festival even. <laughs> Good. Good,
5: yeah. Well, I've been here 10 years. I've never
1: been to it. <laughs> no? I, boy, it's crowded, though, I'll tell you that. But it's kind of interesting.
5: Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, would you recommend somebody using their line of credit, which is about half the amount of percentage rate to pay off credit card
1: debt? You know, I don't like credit card debt, as you know. I mean, I just it's expensive. Right. That's why I don't like it. It's so expensive. Now, the problem with using your line of credit, usually that's your house as your backup as far as uh, collateral, right? Right. My problem with that debt is the interest rates can rise and fall. You oh. know, it's not tied into a fixed rate. A line of credits are. They rise and fall with interest rates. Yeah. My biggest problem with that, Ben, is I don't want you to fall back into the trap and go right back to re- using that credit card again. I don't have a problem with credit cards. I really don't. But I believe you should pay off that debt every month. You know, So if you're going to use it, just make sure you have the money at the end of the year, end of the month to pay it down. to Get rid of that so you don't have to pay interest. Right. But I would say, yeah, the answer would be yes and then it would be uh, behoove you to try to get that paid off as fast as you can. Right. Much less interest, much less interest. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the call.
0: A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program, but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. Hey,
3: Steve and I'm a fairly new investor. I heard Steve say, that the majority of my portfolio should be blue chip stocks. So what I'm wondering is right now I have about 60% blue chip stocks. Is that enough? Um, Do I need to kind of change things up, buy more blue chip stocks, sell the rest? Anyways, just wondering your thoughts on that. I appreciate it. All your help. Bye-bye.
1: I would say no, 60% is enough. Um, If you're not very knowledgeable, I would say you need more knowledgeable about the market, about stocks, about companies, more than 60%. Because that core holding is holdings blue chip that you plan on never letting go. And you, you want to buy them at a good price, so you be patient, wait till they come to a good price, buy them, and hopefully they're paying dividend, and hopefully they'll increase in their valuations. Buying other than blue chip stocks means you are taking more risk. So you might be buying growth stocks, and growth stocks might not be blue chip. Okay, depending, most of them are not. So that doesn't mean you don't buy them. That just means that that's more risky. If you're young, you should do that. Take more risk. But only if you know what you're buying and why you're buying. Okay?
3: Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Carter from uh, Minnesota. I'm 20 years old and relatively a new investor. Um, I was listening to your podcast the other day, and uh, I think Steve mentioned something about managerial uh, ownership and how, you know, uh, a company didn't own that much or the managers didn't own that much and that was unattractive. I've seen a lot of people talk about how institutional ownership is something to look at, see where the big money's flowing. I just want to hear you guys' thoughts on that. And if I'm going to invest in a company with a man who with the managers owning some shares, what percentage do you guys look for? Thank you.
1: Okay, that's really a really good question. And it, it's, there's no one answer. But you do want the managers to own some of their shares. You want them to be focused on growing that company. If it's a real small company, you want them to have 5, 7, 10%. If it's a very large company, 1, 2%. Institutions drive stock prices. They drive them up or they drive them down because they have large chunks of money they put in a company or take out of the company. You and I, we're not big enough to move the stock price. They are. So institutional ownership, you hear me on the radio say a lot. Well, looks like uh, uh, looks like looks like mutual funds are buying. That's institutional ownership, and if they're buying, they're pushing the stock. Now it doesn't always work out because you don't know how much they're buying, but usually you get an idea of their percentage ownership. You want institutional ownership in the stock that you're looking at. Eight 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 ninety nine charters our number, eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight. Alex in San Diego, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking my call. Well you know what? I love it when you call so it's you. I man, I just answer the questions. Well my question is I'm
2: just breaking into the stock market and um I'm looking for uh, something to you know, to be able to read about it and uh, where would be a good place to go get information.
1: Okay, great, 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 great. Okay, there's several places I'm going to talk about first. And, of course, I hope you like reading. I do. Okay, good. For a good resource, in other words, you're come across something, I wonder what that means. Go to investopedia.com. Investopedia, I-N-V-E-S-T-O-P-E-D-I-A.com. Okay. Investopedia. That's a great place. You can type in terms and stuff and find out. And they have lessons from beginner to advanced. It's a pretty good website for that. And I have no tie to that website, but I use it. Yeah, because I like it. If you're just getting started, I would suggest you read the book. Uh, it's a very easy book to read. Beating the Street by Peter Lynch. It's been out for a number of years. Peter Lynch is one of the best investors out there. He's a mutual fund guy for Vanguard for years and years. He retired. It's very easy to read. It gives you a nice overview. It's only a couple hundred pages. And you're done. And you have a good idea of how stocks work. What makes it go up, what makes it go down. When you get more advanced, I have a lot more advanced books to give you. But if you're just starting out, reading a couple of Peter Lynch's books are good. There's others that are very, very good. Another book that's not in print that I really liked and enjoyed years ago was a book called A Thousand Miles from Wall Street by Tony Gray. I don't know if that's around. you probably get a library, but I don't know if you can get it in print anymore. But if you can, I would suggest that. Now, there's a book list on our website, so when you get those under your belt, you just move on to more and more books. Uh, okay, and then that would be the place to go on the web. Yeah, for learning about investing, yes. Okay, very it's good. It's a really Thanks. good site, really. Take a look at it. If you don't like it, I'll give you some more. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Alex. Okay, thank you. Chris in Lancaster, how you doing? Uh,
2: pretty good. Uh, I was calling about the term 200 moving day average. Yes. And how does that relate to a stock?
1: Okay, are you familiar with moving averages? No, not really. Okay, good. Once you learn what a moving average is, then it'll make a lot more sense to you. Trust me, Chris. There's a lot of people out there that think they know, but probably don't know. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: you know, they just don't want to ask the question. Oh you know? yeah. We all know what an average of something is. You can yes. take a number of things divided by the number. Now, a moving average of the stock price. Let's say the stock price is at ten dollars today. Uh-huh. Tomorrow it's at twenty dollars. Okay. There's okay. two days. Now I can average that price, okay? And it will be 15, 10 plus 20 okay. divided by two. That's yeah. an average price for that stock, right? Okay. If I take 10 days, add up each one of them, all 10 days, the price of that stock, and average them, that will be, give me an average of 10 days, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so now you okay. know how to average 200 days, right? Gotcha. Now, to get a moving average is a little bit different. I take the last 200 days. I get an average of those 200 days, and I know what the price is, and I place a little dot right there where that average is. Then tomorrow comes along, I drop off the oldest day, 201 days ago,
2: uh-huh.
1: and I add today's price on that stock, that's 200 days again. I add them all together, divide it by 200, and I get another price. It's a little bit different than the day before, right? Yes because the price is a little bit different today. If I keep doing that running along, I get what's called a moving average. Okay. And I plot a line on a chart to show you that moving average. What it does, is just smooths out the price action of the stock. Okay. And why do we use 200 days? Because that's one full year of trading. 200 days in a trading year. Remember, right. there's 365, but you've got yeah. holidays and weekends. Yeah. So it okay. represents about 200 days in the trading year. And that is used, a 200-day moving average is used because it's the long-term average of the stock. And the theory is, as long as the stock is above the 200-day moving average, it's in a bull mood. If it's below it, it's bearish, going down.
2: Which is bad to buy.
1: That's right. Okay. That's in a simplistic way. There are times you want to buy below the 200-day moving average, but generally speaking, You want to wait till the stock pops above it and then you can say, well, I'm now in a bull mood. You know, the stock is in a bull pattern, Mm -hmm. bull market pattern.
2: Okay. All right.
3: Thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, Stephen Justin. It's Steve Ogercon here from uh, New Hampshire. Love the show. Uh, Quick question for you. When you guys run your support and resistance numbers, can you give me a little bit of a debriefing on what you guys are exactly looking at so I can start looking at it myself too? I really appreciate it. Thanks.
4: Sure. There are a few factors that become support and resistance. Obviously, moving averages, I typically like the 50 and the 100-day moving averages. I think those are uh, the most important moving averages. Some companies tend to find support more at the 50. Some companies tend to find more support around the 100. It just depends on the company how volatile they are. So moving averages also are very important. Also, previous breakout areas. So if you look back in the chart and the, the price has been chopping sideways and the price had broken out above that, and now it's retesting that area, oftentimes that's very strong support as well. And then previous pivot points. So you're talking about double bottoms, triple bottoms, et cetera, that can be strong support. And then lastly, Fibonacci levels. So Fibonacci retracement levels, I like to combine those with other factors as well. So this goes into chart reading. And chart reading is is more of an art than a science. And there are various factors that come into creating support and resistance. And really it's about being able to identify those various factors. And the best ones line up two or more factors to create very strong support.
1: Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99Chart, 888 99Chart, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
1: Okay, let's go to Elias and Sam Ramone. How are you doing, Elias? Yeah, thank you.
2: Uh, the reason I'm calling is my dad's 60 and he's going to be retiring in the beginning of next year, and his job offered him the choice of directing a portion or all of his pension plan dollars to Uh, fidelity
1: uh uh-huh
2: i guess it's kind of a two-part question one is this a good idea and two what formula do you guys use to figure out how you want to allocate it with stocks and bonds i know there's something to do with your age and yeah
1: is the other side of the coin is he to take it in a lump sum
2: no the other one is i think it just stays within the pension plan
1: what company works for
2: Northern California, electrical workers. Okay.
1: The reason why I asked Elias huh? is because if he worked for an airline company, I would say, yeah, let's get out of that. Oh, uh, that's a good idea, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of pensions are underfunded. This is my big, big concern. The question here is, should he take the amount of money that he gets in his pension and put it over into Fidelity, in which he would have control and pick and choose his own investments, or stay in the pension plan in which they pay him a certain amount of money every month until he dies, I'm assuming. Is he married? Yes. I apologize for asking questions, which no, sure, you may not right. know the answers. But if he dies and he's collecting a pension, does his wife get the full pension benefits? Yes. Because you can see how that will impact my answer. The men usually die before the women. Right. You know, And you want the wife or your mom to get full benefits if she right. can. Now what you need to do is figure out how long he's going to live. You figure it's going to be until he's about 77 years old. Uh-huh. That's what normally people live to. Maybe a little longer if he's already 60. Right. How many years that is, how much money it gets per month, and then figure out that lump sum, okay? Okay. Then take the lump sum they're going to flip over to Fidelity and then compound it by about 6 or 7% per year. And always, every year, withdraw the same amount of money that he's going to need, or how much he would take out of the pension. So when you compound it but take money out, it's a fairer comparison, you okay. know? Generally speaking, it's better to take the money. The whole lump sum? The whole lump sum. Generally speaking, I can't say for sure. I don't know what his benefits are. But the few that I've done the math on, the ones that come and talk to me about this, Uh I do the math, and it seems like invariably they could do better if they just invest in smart investments. Now, the other part of the question they have is supposed to be for every year of your age is about the approximate amount you have in bonds. Okay. So if you're 60, 60% in bonds, 40% in stocks. Okay. But the caveat is that you shouldn't really be buying bonds in a rising interest rate environment. Right. Or you buy short-term bonds in a rising interest rate environment. Okay. It depends how conservative he wants to be. And at age 60, and this is his uh, pension, he needs to be somewhat conservative. Conservative, yeah. Well yeah. I hope that helps. And if you have yeah. any specific questions, you can give me a call at the office. I'll run through all the numbers for you. Oh, this is great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Elias. Appreciate the call.
0: This is Invest Talk. You can get your free InvestTalk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or InvestTalk.com. I am a big fan of your podcast and I just got started with it. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. The anytime listener lines never close. Steve and Justin are waiting for your questions. Eight 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 ninety nine chart
2: Hi, guys. Lee from North
3: Carolina here. I have a question for you about the financial industry as a business. I have been managing mine and my wife's retirement accounts for a couple of years now, and I've decided to start studying to take my Series 65 exam, planning on taking that uh, over the summer. Just curious as to what would be the best line of action after I pass the Series 65. Would you recommend trying to start my own investment advisor firm or try to find an established firm to become an investment advisor representative? Or, you know, what, what would you recommend for someone like me that's uh, looking to venture out into the investment advisor business? Thanks. Looking forward to hearing the answers.
4: Great question. There's definitely a lot of routes uh, to go. Uh, it's been many years. I pa- passed my Series 65 when I was 19 or 20, I believe. So I was I was pretty young. And uh, luckily, I have my grandfather as my mentor, founder of KP Financial. And uh, that helps a lot, is really have a mentor. And so I would try to find a smaller firm and uh, a mentor that really can show you the ropes of the industry, uh, the pros and cons, uh, manage around the, the trends uh, of indexing, which makes uh, you know our business uh, tougher, frankly. And so uh, I would look for a smaller firm that has a mentor and then you can maybe grow into being a, a partner uh, or maybe break out on your own. But a larger firm, you're probably not going to get quite the exposure, the experience you really need. Look for a smaller firm with a Create Mentor.
1: Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. If you want to contact me directly, easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm money manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening.
0: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically.